In truth default theory, most of us, or should I say most Westerners, will default to truth or find reasons to trust the other person, even in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. We tend to believe most people are honest most of the time. But even in the most extreme examples of people being duped, as in the title of the book Duped by Timothy Levine, it presumes that we all share a common definition of truth. After all, how could you be deceived by someone or something that isn't acknowledged to be a deception or an untruth? Let's think about that for a moment and how we would communicate when the very definition of truth is in question. Westerners tend to believe in absolute truths or facts and literal meanings, and hence we communicate very directly. We use terms like hard facts that have no translation in Chinese. On the other hand, Chinese tend to think in relative truths and communicate in a more face-saving, figurative style. So every response from a Chinese person to a Westerner might feel vague, disingenuous, or non-committal. Some call it indirect communication, and it frustrates the hell out of most of us, going back and forth trying to convince someone to acknowledge a basic truth, your essential truth, just to make a point. Maybe in this context, you will begin to recognize the futility of universal truths as a basic assumption. And perhaps we should believe that there just aren't any. Thank you for presenting the sales update for Asia Pacific. Do you have any additional recommendations? Yes, I said. I believe we should establish an office in the Wai Gaochao Free Trade Zone. Wai Gaochao was the first free trade zone established in China. It was incorporated as part of a newly developed pilot free trade zone project in Shanghai in 2013 and located in the northeast of Pudong District near the end of Metro Line 6. Free trade zones, or FTZs, were created to offer lower import duties and tax exemptions for the import of goods and components used to produce goods manufactured locally by foreign companies. We were a components manufacturer, and I was led to believe that having an FTZ office would eliminate a considerable price disadvantage against our local Chinese competitors. Gene, I guess you didn't know this, but we established an FTZ office last year, but we decided to close it because it wasn't worth the cost to maintain. After Dr. Smith, the German CEO who'd personally hired me for this position, spoke those words in front of every key person in our organization, my heart sank. And I was speechless for a split second that felt like an eternity. I finally realized that Richard had duped me. It all began with a few subtle suggestions that might help increase the turnover in China. Richard even mentioned that specific customers and partners in our supply chain had demanded that we set up an FTZ office in Waigaochao. In hindsight, I believe that this could be my first breakthrough in my new role as Asia-Pacific Sales Director. So naturally, I became a bit overzealous. After all, I'd been given the monumental task of increasing our regional turnover from 6 to 25% of global sales. So for weeks, my sales assistant and I would visit various consultants and agencies, 
specializing in helping foreign companies establish offices in the FTZ, all the while postponing customer visits to uncover their real needs. In hindsight, specific FTZ-related conversations between Richard and me were very peculiar. He planted the seed in my mind, but he never provided any recommendations other than the initial suggestion of it hurting our competitiveness. It's as if he was deliberately allowing me to take the lead and full ownership of this initiative. I was still basking in the glow and excitement of my honeymoon period with him, so my mind defaulted to trust and fully embraced the situation as an opportunity. Chinese people are some of the world's most fantastic hosts, and they honor their guests with praise, the utmost respect, and an unrelenting desire to anticipate and satisfy their every need. This dynamic is known as the honeymoon period in China, which can last anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of months or longer. Indulging and intoxicating guests, especially foreigners, is cultural. During China's century of humiliation, there are historical precedents of Chinese lowering the guards of their much stronger foreign invaders with food, wine, and women to gain their trust as a means of control and manipulation. While that's not what's happening today, it is deeply embedded in Chinese culture to wine and dine as a means to influence others. So that today, we call the entire experience the honeymoon period. Offering goodwill and reciprocity is the only means to find real trust under heaven for most Chinese people. Vincent was very generous, often buying a round of drinks or inviting us to his home for dinner. But Richard's goodwill gestures ventured deep into personal territory. Had I not just embarked on my own adventure into uncharted waters, relocating to China for a position in Suzhou, several months before my wife was set to join me, I might have been annoyed by Richard's constant suggestions. He would drive me around and show me places where he thought I should live, even recommending where I should purchase a home as an investment because the Shanghai Municipal Government was planning to extend the metro to connect Shanghai with Suzhou. I recall he brought me to see a house for rent on a golf course because I'd mentioned I like to play both golf and tennis. As we were standing on the patio, overlooking the fairway, Richard began selling me on the idea of how good my life in Shanghai could be if I were to live in a golf course community. Was Richard trying to help me find the perfect living situation? And what could be sinister about living in a golf course community? One aspect of the art of war is misdirection. And I've noticed that Chinese people use art of war tactics both naturally and subconsciously. I doubt anyone could think that far ahead, but I'm pretty confident Richard preferred that my attention was less focused on improving the sales situation in China and uncovering activities that might not conform with official policy. Some weeks after our Asia-Pacific regional sales meeting, there was a global sales meeting in Germany, where I later learned from my boss that Dr. Smith had invited Richard for a personal car ride to talk cars in his new BMW. Dr. Smith had heard whispers that I wasn't taking my job seriously and was often disrespectful to others in the organization. 
so he wanted to hear firsthand from the guy in China who'd been there since the beginning. Well, it's not hard to imagine what Richard led Dr. Smith to believe in that infamous car ride. So Richard, how's Gene doing so far? Well, Dr. Smith, I'm really not sure how he's doing. You know that Gene and his sales assistant have been leaving the office a lot lately, and you might have heard that he was quite rude to Kai during our sales meeting. But other than that, we haven't talked too much about the China market. This conversation is what I imagined after I was told of Richard's car ride with Dr. Smith during my weekly call with Mr. Bauer, my boss, who was vice president of global sales. Mr. Bauer and I joined the company around the same time, so he had no prior relationship with Richard. Mr. Bauer was the highest level executive in the global sales organization, and all the regional sales directors and key account managers reported to him. Of the seven of Mr. Bauer's direct reports, five had traveled extensively with Richard to manage key accounts to develop the China market. We're a family-owned German company, so the best way to plant seeds of doubt would simply be to leave some insinuations with others high up in Germany, which is precisely what Richard did with his connections. After Mr. Bauer informed me of the negative conversations circulating about me in Germany, he assured me that he had my back and would set the record straight regarding my activities with Dr. Schmidt. So Gene, what suggestions do you have for our next step? Well, Mr. Bauer, to be honest, at this stage, I think the best for all parties is if we could negotiate an amicable separation. I'd concluded that even if I could win the battle with Richard over his misdeeds, I would have likely lost the war because Richard was too embedded into everything. Getting rid of Richard would have meant destroying everything first and then trying to rebuild it. Mr. Bauer replied, Gene, I'm actually relieved to hear you say that. If that's how you'd like to proceed, I think I can help you negotiate a face-saving exit. I received an additional nine-month salary, plus my bonus, plus six additional months of Allianz Global Health Coverage, and a five-figure lump sum to cover my relocation back to America, should that be my choice. We negotiated this amicable separation and I left quietly. No confrontations, no goodbyes, no regrets. I treated my relationship with Richard with kid gloves, recognizing that he was the most important person in China's ultimate success, the largest and fastest growing market segment in Asia Pacific. So I accepted most of his goodwill and try to reciprocate by asking his opinions and generally following his lead in China. We'd even come to a consensus at one point that I could just quote-unquote leave China to him and focus my attention on Japan, Korea, and the rest of Southeast Asia. At the time, this felt like a we've-got-each-other's-backs agreement, but shifting my attention was all part of his master plan until he could figure out how to discredit me and ultimately force my departure. But there was one critical folly in my approach, because nothing is predestined to occur. Richard and I didn't have to become political rivals, though no one, including myself, realized it at the time. You see, I portrayed myself as very principled and presented myself as someone who wouldn't tolerate corruption, 
Instead, Hayadai appeared more open to accepting, or better yet, displaying a desire to participate in extracting benefits within the gray zones of our value chain. Richard would have approached our relationship in an entirely different way. If Richard was operating in some gray areas, then at a minimum, I would first need to convince him I might be interested in participating as well before he would trust me enough to let me in. Remember when I mentioned Richard never introduced me to anyone in his family? Well, it's much harder to sabotage and betray someone when families are connected. Hey, this is Gene. Richard's antics paint a pretty disturbing picture of the depths that Chinese people are willing to go to protect their selfish needs. But the main point of this story isn't that you should be skeptical or more confrontational. Instead, I should have presented myself as more corruptible. Leaving the door open doesn't mean you have to walk through it, but closing a door in China will leave you stuck on the other side. I hope you're subscribed to hear how Jack's lying, cheating, and stealing, or something that I call goodwill extraction, could have also been prevented with a different attitude, mindset, and approach.